that's the topic of the episode inspiration isn't it is it no that was our last episode we don't have a topic for this episode that was my point (laughs) man that's gonna make it to (laughs) b-roll oh man Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook or the Twitter and join in on the conversation. Peace. Welcome to Active Listeners Podcast, and I am your host, Mike. And I'm the other host, Shane. And tonight, we are going to talk a little bit uh, with a very good friend of the show. Something a little bit brand new for you, for us, for for me anyway. I don't know. I've never talked to a, prof- a wrestler. I don't know. I went to a lot of wrestling events. When I was younger with my dad, so <laughs> then you'll be right at home while we interview our guest, Jamie Jay Jager. Yeah, yeah. But another thing we're gonna talk to Jay about is about his work as a a crisis coach, which should be pretty interesting to talk about. Yeah, he is a professional fight choreographer and has shifted his life and we don't want to spoil too much of it i want him to explain it but he does this thing where he creates crisis scenarios and guides people through them to be more prepared for them yeah and it's it really got us, cool yeah it got us to thinking what is the sort of most off the wall thing either of us have done with our you know professional theater acting we always talk about how we live a very gig life and we have to do these jobs that maybe aren't directly up our alley but as actors everything is up our alley (laughs) (laughs) i mean what are the what are some of the ways in which you've applied your acting to a gig that was maybe not something someone would think about when they think of oh you're an actor i mean i could think of so many and the one an early one in my life that pops in my head is professional ghost tours. Oh, ghost so, tours. Yeah, yeah, right in Schenectady, right in the stockade. We would memorize the script and walk around and talk about how all of the hotels were haunted. And if you look in that window right there at this time. At 11.43 and 27 seconds. You'll see the shadow of the ancient mistress Nini. <laughs> that's, that's Lady Nini Van Birken stuff. <laughs> and I mean... Of course, when you think about it, yeah, that's an acting job, but it's not your typical go-to acting gig. You don't think of people that are doing those gigs as like actors, like unless you know of an actor that does that stuff. Like I, it it never came to my mind that oh right, that person would have to be someone at least trained, kind of. (laughs) If they're if they're doing it right, the person giving the tour 
can kind of convince everyone that you are a genuine lover of ghosts and you just do this because you're jazz. No one pays you for this. You just walk around the stockade in Halloween and just talk about the ghosts and the and no one pays you for this. You just <laughs> walk around the stockade in October talking about ghosts and whoever wants to follow you, more power to them. That would be the that would be the character that I would play. I'd be like, "Oh, hey, hey, wow, well, there's a lot of you folks here. What are you, what are you doing here? Like, oh, oh, you're on a ghost tour, really? Well, I could tell you some things I know about the ghosts in this area. Come on, <laughs> follow me. <laughs> I don't know where your guide is, but follow me. Guide never a- showed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, one of the things that Will Kemp's does. Is we do events sometimes. So a couple of years ago, the Ronald McDonald House every you know did does this big charity. It's like a gala. There's a theme, and like I guess gala is the wrong word because it's not quite that fancy. But they bring in vendors for like food and, and drinks. Is and, pretty fancy. <laughs> and uh, we were hired by the people that were throwing on the event to come in as 1980s pop culture icons so we all came in various different costumes and being different characters i played chewbacca and i wore a big old chewbacca costume and our friend jocelyn was princess leia and yeah we we did the whole you know three-hour event or whatever like in our costumes posed for pictures danced and you know did all did all sorts of fun stuff in character yeah and and in another event so hot it it was weird because like you know when you're at a party you know they were like hey enjoy yourself you're at a party just like also take pictures with people so we were basically just being paid to go there and drink and like dance but you know we, we had to keep it professional at a professional level so we didn't go too crazy but it, we had a lot of fun and yeah, you had um, to keep it professional in your costumes yeah, in my costumes yeah yeah in my in my you know 10 year old wookie costume <laughs> I was definitely not the first person to wear that thing. <laughs> I mean, I've also done uh, a Ren Fair, which yeah, is you were uh, a Ren Fair. What are you called? Rennies? Fairies? Don't ever uh, call us that again. <laughs> first off, that is our word, not your word. No, I'm just messing around. Sorry, that's messed up. That's messed up. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Um, I have never heard anyone call us that ever. Yeah, I don't know because it's like carnies, right? Like I don't know what the Ren Fair. Oh, is that where you grabbed it from? Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, but that was a longer gig type event, and again, almost the point is as an actor in the space is to convince people that the actor isn't real and it's just Mm -hmm. this crazy ass person living in this 16th century town passing through yeah rent fairs are fun no they're not don't lie they are they are i I, I enjoy rent fairs but you know we're also nerds so yeah i also have never been to a rent fair like and not worked it yeah really that's (laughs) that's funny it's like, how much experience do you have uh, working at, Ren, uh, you know, with Ren fairs? And, and at that point, you're like, um, how long have I been here? <laughs> All right. So that, okay, that's a, that's a good question for you, Mike. What is the most underprepared thing you have ever been hired to do that as an actor, you were just like, oh, sure, I got this. 
under oh and as an actor i was like oh okay uh i mean working bar at the asc like i'd never worked at a bar before <laughs> and i was just like oh yeah sell people alcohol i could totally do that <laughs> yeah that's pretty like you're talkative enough where right you, you can schmooze up anyone who's halfway yeah yeah would you like a prosecco oh are you a merlot here you go Oh, my tip jar? Yes, we absolutely take tips. Thank you. Oh, yes, that is a cute little dollar bill I folded up to look like a dress shirt. Thank you. He's lonely in there, though. <laughs> this turns into a podcast about how to uh, manipulate tips out of <laughs> drunk people. Uh-oh, you said manipulate tips. I think it's time to remind our podcast listeners about our Patreon. I think that is exactly what we should do. So if you would like to tip Mike and I for the ridiculous service that we offer you, please (laughs) check out our Patreon where you can offer small amounts of money, where we will give you ask us anything. We will have private conversations. Maybe we'll have you on as a guest if you're interested. And so much extra content go on there check it out and mike for the love of god say something and say <laughs> you can also uh if you would like deal directly through our uh, podcast provider anchor if you go to our anchor uh, at www.anchor.fm slash active listeners pod you can find us there as well and contribute on anchor or better yet you can just tell your friends about the show like share and that will help a lot too seriously just tell people if you like us even if you don't if you hate us tell your friends if you hate us tell your enemies to listen to us (laughs) and with that we're not choosy no we are gonna bring on our guest jamie jager we're going to be right back with him. Jamie Jagger on the top row. There's a link in the show description that allows you to leave us a voice message. If you leave us a message, we might respond to it during the recording of one of our episodes. Head down to the show notes and join in on the conversation. And we're back, and Shane and I would like to welcome our guest, Jay Jager. How you doing, Jay? Jay is a wrestler, the very first wrestler we've ever interviewed. Yeah, so don't fuck it up because he'll kick our ass. He'll beat me up. I will fake kick your ass. He'll, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I didn't want to. I didn't want to like destroy the illusion for any of our listeners, but. <laughs> uh, and and I just want to say I'm I'm training to be a pro wrestler. I am not yet a pro wrestler. Okay, okay, all right, that's fair. Shane and I have a uh, have a a philosophy on the word professional. In in that philosophy is if you are devoting a large chunk of your time in your life to a thing, the only difference between you and someone that is a professional is that they're getting paid to do it which we're going to change one episode at a time <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's the long way around to saying jay tell us about yourself right tell us tell us something interesting introduce yourself to our audience 
and uh, also share with us your your preferred pronouns. Rock on. Yeah, uh, I am. Uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, my name is Jamie Jager. Preferred pronouns are he and him. Yeah, I just finished up a, a, a pro wrestling intensive, wrestling as the Jagermeister. I am a Shakespeare nerd. Uh, I went to school with Shane here. I'm a, a stage combat enthusiast. Uh, I, I am almost five years sober. And uh, my, my current goal is to get everyone in the world trained in real first aid to prevent a lot of preventable deaths. To, to bring it, you know, make it real. And, and we're, we're going to get really heavy right off the bat. I was going to say, look, I, I didn't think about bringing you on this show for no reason. <laughs> there you go. Also, like, how much irony is in your wrestling name? Five years sober? <laughs> Come on. So uh, the match I just had, it was Jagermeister and Dimly Do-Right versus the tag team of Tainted Love. And it was for the control of the Jagermeister's bar, O'Malley's Pub. <laughs> so I get the crowd to chant, drink, buy a shot. And it's all this like, you know, pro-alcohol stuff. And I have not had a drink in almost five years or taken any drugs or anything like that. <laughs> uh, it is horribly ironic. And if I ever do become a, a true pro wrestler, I might have to change my gimmick because if the audience found out that I'm sober. I know it'd be like if you found out that Stone Cold Steve Austin hated beer. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although if I wanted to go the bad guy route, you know, Jagermeister becomes sober, people would hate me. All good wrestlers, multiple points through their career, are going to have that big shift in what they were versus who they are are going to become. I always think of like, what was his name? Like Gold Digger, Goldfinger, or something like that. I used to watch wrestling back in the yeah. day. Gold Dust. Oh, gold Dust gold or, dust. or gold, yeah. gold Dust, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. It was Gold something. He used to like be completely covered in gold. Yes. And then like at some point in his career, he was like, I'm not putting this makeup on for every match anymore and completely yeah. changed his entire shtick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One, uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes, one of the best wrestlers of all time. That was it right off the top of his head? Nice. I mean, yeah, my, my wife says I'm I'm a bit, uh, I don't know, what's the word, obsessed? <laughs> you? I don't know. The, uh, the company I wrestle with, they're, yeah, you, you love this. They're called Renaissance Rumble. And uh, they started at a Renaissance festival. And they put Shakespearean plays in a wrestling ring. And so you've got Macbeth versus Macduff but it's actually Hulk Hogan versus Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> and it was started by some guys, some friends of mine who are like super um, stage combat guys. We're all advanced actor combatants with the Society of American Fight Directors. And uh, they found out that, you know, stage combat people, a lot of them are also huge wrestling fans. What a surprise. Exactly. So they started offering these uh, intensive work workshops. And so they, they come at pro wrestling from an acting standpoint from a stage combat and the safety standpoint. Um, and so everything is about the story. And then you learn the moves. That's awesome. And so, you know, a little late in life, but I'm, I'm getting to live out my, you know, 12 year old Jamie dream. Yeah, growing up, I had a group of friends that we did, you know, the thing where you untrained and dangerously wrestle in each other's backyards for hardcore title belts that you made out of, cardboard and paper clips <laughs> yep yeah yeah lots lots of us we gave ourselves names 
a little uh, group. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. And yeah. then you know that one unbroken table that you don't realize is broken <laughs> already, or at least made out of like Luan. <laughs> uh, yeah, for us, we had the JWF. The, the Jamie Wrestling Federation, because that's how original I was. I was Y2 Jamie, named after Chris Jericho. And uh, there, were, there were two events that made us stop doing backyard wrestling. Uh, one, I uh, uh, choke slammed my buddy Rob. He landed on the ground and uh, separated his shoulder. It's always a choke slam. Ow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a horrible idea. Shouldn't have done it. Kids don't do this at home. Uh, but then there was the, uh, I think, 20 foot, I jumped off of a deck. And we did not plan how I was going to land on the guy. I karate chopped him <laughs> right, in, right in his junk. And we were like, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> no more. Where are you in your like certification for combat styles these days because it, it's interesting to hear this story about someone who when i met you couldn't have been more professional and in line with safety measures <laughs> and like to hear that story i'm like oh so you weren't always that way okay good to know well that was high school um so that was before i got into stage combat actually that was right before i did uh, a west side story and uh, for the fights in West Side Story, the director said, just fight. And so these kids just started punching each other on stage. And I said, whoa, uh, I watched professional wrestling. Can I just try to come up with some ideas? And the director was like, I don't care. So that was my first time ever choreographing fights. And that's how I made them safe was because of what I saw in professional wrestling. And then I got involved in uh, 2005 with the Chesapeake Shakespeare Company. That's how I found out about the Society of American Fight Directors. And I, I started taking classes there and realized, oh, God, what I was doing was still so unsafe. <laughs> Basing Shakespearean fights off of WWE. I mean, unless it's as you like it, don't do that. <laughs> exactly. Like I was say, there's one show that works. Yeah, Jamie, we run a co-op Shakespeare company up up in upstate New York. And as you like, it's one of the shows we're doing this season. Yeah. Oh, rock on. Yeah. We're, we'll see how it works out. But the story that's being told without any lines is that Charles is a fighter of many styles. And once he sees that Orlando walks with a large like quarter staff, he's like into it. And they change the fight yeah. to a quarter staff fight. <laughs> oh, that's epic. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But there, this is the first time either of the performers have like professionally fought in any capacity. Well, not Andrew. So that that brings that brings me to a good question. You you've explained your you are a fight choreographer, like you choreograph fights. Mm -hmm. What do you do when the people before you are like they're not that physical or they don't they're not really in touch with their bodies? You know how because those actors exist and sometimes you know the wires get crossed in casting. Yeah. Absolutely. What's your go-to strategy? Yeah, I would. I would even add on top of that. What about time constraints too? Absolutely. When you even have, when you have capable people, but you don't have the time to choreograph. It, well, one of the classes that I took, and I took this a few times, was a class called choreography for the hopeless. Okay. Um, which sounds really severe. It sounds like a great class, though. Oh, I learned so much, and the way uh, it, it, you did it, you were in groups of three. Two people were the actors. And they went aside and they came up with something 
that they had an issue with. And then the third person had to be that choreographer. And then we all sat down and talked about it. And some of the big takeaways that I got were people don't know have, have great control of their body or, or time is, is a big issue or, or any of those issues or actors don't really get along. See what comes naturally. And you build that through positive reinforcement. And so if someone wants to swing that quarterstaff straight at their head and that looks halfway decent, well, it's better to work on that than to try to force their body to do something that they don't want to do. So there's that. And then playing with distance and avoidances. So that way the audience is waiting for the ting-ting of the swords rather than just diving into the ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting of the swords. So when you show the, 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 the two combatants and they're almost going to fight and then they go away and then they almost fight and then they go away, there's the anticipation of it all, right? I'm so mad at you for making that joke. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to, only for you. <laughs> yeah, and thinking about when does fight start? A lot of people would say with the first move. A fight starts with eye contact and breath. And so I would rather watch that moment before a fight starts last for, for a minute rather than just dive into it because then you earn that moment. And then once that moment happens and it's quick, the audience thinks a long fight just happened. Sure. It's like a stage trick. You, you set up the fight early and avoid it for so long that you get those three ting, ting, tings. And the audience is like, that was a great five minute fight. <laughs> when in reality, it was just a lot of very specific stage movement. That's interesting. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I like that. 100%. And the audience breathes when you breathe. So you can make the audience out of breath. You can make them think that you just ran a marathon and it was only 10 seconds of fight. And 10 seconds of fight is a long, a long time fight. to yeah. fight. <laughs> That's what I remember from watching wrestling matches it was all about the story and the avoidance and then you got about 30 seconds to a minute and a half of big physical acrobatic fight and you were entertained because they set up this whole story and that was the payoff it was great oh absolutely if i went into a wrestling ring and just did move after move after move i'd have a heart attack i would die i'm too old for that <laughs> so what i do is i get in there and if I'm the bad guy, the guy will go to lock up with me and I'll dip out of the ring and start yelling at the audience, catching my breath, because during my entrance, I winded myself <laughs> because I was getting too into it. And then I'll go in there, I'll do a body slam, then I'll jump on the second rope and start flicking off audience <laughs> members. Or if I'm the baby face, I'm getting them to clap along. But I'm the only, the biggest reason I'm doing that, aside from, you know, audience interaction, uh, is to catch my damn breath. <laughs> I mean, you also make this grandiose entrance where you're singing a song and playing a ukulele you know what i mean that's not your typical entrance you know what i mean oh, oh, oh. yes <laughs> <laughs> i just hear i just hear you make your entrance playing a ukulele normally the jagermeister comes out to a song called jagermeister love song by psycho stick i'm going to say that again by psycho stick and it's called jagermeister love song can't get better than that okay. but the plot line for this last show covid uh and the pandemic hit uh jagermeister really hard so he lost his bar and now he's been having to do the gig life so he's been playing lots of birthday parties and, <laughs> and kids parties and bar mitzvahs with his little ukulele 
yeah, so he but couldn't we want to know we want to know what your <laughs> your character is doing, not what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, the parallels are there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, he can't afford his own entrance music, so he had to play himself in playing uh, Margarita. <laughs> okay. Okay. No. That's hilarious. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So now, also, is the is the wrestling period Renaissance Rumble? Uh-huh. Th- they they play the over the top of Shakespeare. They really bring out the, the raunchiness of it and, and they get really hot, you know, um, in, into the accents because they're playing with stereotypes and, and wrestling can really play with stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Renaissance Rumble is usually, you know, it'll be like a singlet and then like billowy, you know, pants, right? Um, and so they'll, they'll do the matches like that. Um, but the, uh, uh, That's great. the events we do, we call them battle stations. Those are I want to say modern day. When we did before this, we went to the future, the post-apocalyptic future of 1999. Uh, it's crazy. It's pro wrestling. You can do anything. That's great. Yeah. Mike, do you want do you want to tell them about your your Macbeth? Oh yeah. I I mean we might have to we might have to have you come. I don't know where you are, but come and uh, work with us on uh, yeah. on this Macbeth if I ever get it on the, on a stage. You had me at Macbeth. I wanna I wanna stage <laughs> Macbeth in like a Mad Max style post-apocalypse and it's all found weapons. So it's like pipes and rebar and, you know, obviously they're two by fours with nails, fake, but cause it's a stage, but yeah. Yeah. So it's like this like gritty kind of like, you know, found weapon, dirty fighting. I always, I always just see like the dirtiest fighting. Cause, cause you got to think about also like Macbeth in the proper period. Like this is before like line your men up in March. Like these were like bloody, brutal battles in open fields. Look at one of the opening lines. He unseamed him from the, the nave, nave to the to chaps. The chaps. Like that's not that's okay. That's not okay. <laughs> I mean, it was okay for him, not okay for the guy having it done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's what what, what got him to be what Thane of yeah, Cawdor, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just that the brutality. I mean, he calls himself the bear, right? Like he's a yeah. it's a vicious fighter. So yeah, I've, and nothing, I don't think besides, you know, going, you know, for broke and buying all the broadswords and kilts, like, <laughs> which could be fun. But like, if I'm going to rip someone from like nave to chap, I want to do that with a found weapon. <laughs> yeah. Like a street sign, street sign battle axe. Like... <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, the, the, bat, the battle axe is made by like the edges of like a steel trash can or something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So well, I'm all about it. I'm in. So another through line between your two, your passions is the archetype right so just like shakespeare wrestling has the archetype so talk about wrestling archetypes and like you said the pretty boy you said the villain uh so give us a little little information on that so the the two big archetypes of wrestling are are baby faces and heels right so those are the two uh no i have no idea what that means (laughs) those are the two generalities so a baby face is a good guy a heel is a bad guy okay okay Right. And, you know, baby faces are the ones that that try to get the crowd to cheer and they always, you know, um, try to get pumped up and the audience pumped. So that way the uh, the heel can gain what we call heat by giving him a low blow or doing something that is boo worthy, if you will. I love to get booed on stage. If you can get an audience to boo you, you have done something right. Yes, absolutely. You've got to play uh, uh, Iago. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was doing Cymbeline, 
and um, I was playing Cloten or Clotten, as some people like to refer to him. I'm a Cloten person myself. I'm not going to lie. I probably would have went with Clotten myself. Yeah. Well, and there's that line about Clotten's clot poles, but I digress. Um, so I'm in the middle of doing this one monologue. He, you know, and, and in case the listeners don't know, Cloten's a bad guy. A heel, if you will. He's a heel. A heel, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, I, I do this one part of the monologue. I forget what it was, but I, I jumped in the air and I made this like horrible squealing sound. And this guy in the audience just, it, it was silent. And then this loud, long boo <laughs> from one person. And like the actor, Jamie, was trying not to jump for joy. That's never happened to me. My bad guy got booed. So I then I pulled out my dagger and I just found him in the audience and I walked off stage and I just delivered the, the um, entire monologue straight to him. <laughs> and then, uh, I, oh God, the audience was clapping. Oh, it was great. Of course. But, I bet you that guy loved every second of it too. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he, oh, I, afterwards um, uh, we hung out. Uh, he bought me a drink. It was great. <laughs> he said, boo that man. That was before the five years sober. Yes. Then. Yes. That was quite a long time ago. Yeah. That was probably like 10 years ago. Is it too personal of a question? And you can absolutely say yes. And we also edit our episodes so we can cut it the fuck out if you don't want. But what drove you to get sober? What drove you to make that that change? Because from what I understood, you were doing pretty successful things. You were working for Shakespeare companies. You were you were professional in so many capacities. And oftentimes, at least from anecdotal experience, when I see people in those situations, if they are successful in that situation, they don't want to change it. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just say, um, for this, I'm an open book. Part of the program I'm working is just, you know, being honest uh, and admitting faults and things you've done wrong. So the more I get to talk about my sobriety and um, some of the things I've, I've done, the better I, I am at working my program. So I'm, I'm absolutely down to talk about this. So yeah, when... Uh, <laughs> When last you saw me, I know on the outside, uh, it seemed like a lot was going well, but uh, inside there was nothing. One of the biggest reasons I went to grad school was I knew I was going to be alone and I could finally drink the way I wanted to drink. It's an expensive way to do that. Yes. And uh, oh boy, do I know that. Um, and uh, where I was staying in Stanton, there was that, that uh, liquor store within walking distance. And uh, it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And the one thing I, I prided myself on, I never drank before the show. And then some classmates of mine were like, what are you talking about? That's how you get liquid courage. And that was it. That was, that was the moment where I started drinking 24 seven. And so when I came back to Maryland um, after that first year with the intention of, of staying in grad school, alcohol completely took over. And a big reason was I thought I was king of the, the Shakespeare company I was with. I was, I was the lead teaching artist. I was one of their top resident acting company members. I was untouchable. And um, I found out quickly that I was uh, uh, very incorrect about. You were very, very touchable. touchable. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I'm like, I didn't want to go there. But I'm so glad that Shane's here and Mike. You can count on us. You're perfect. Don't change. <laughs> Not to make light of a of a heavy situation. How we break the tension on this show. You guys, you guys, you guys heard the pause too. You're like, he's gonna say touchable. If he doesn't say it, I'm gonna we say it. We were waiting for it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so um I, I, I lost my spot, I lost my job. Then in January of 2016, 
January 19th, I got the phone call that uh, my best friend for probably over half my life died. And uh, I died. That was, that was it. There was, there was nothing left inside of me. Um, and I used that as the ultimate excuse to just drink. I'm exaggerating, 24 seven. I woke up, I trained my body every hour I would drink. Um, I would wake up and I would drink. So I would go through one of those, you know, huge gallon things, at least one of those a day. Wow. Yeah. And then <laughs> my amazing, brilliant wife, we got married um, a year and a half ago. She stuck with me the whole time. And so did my, um, my other best friend. Him, me, and Nick was my best friend who passed away. We were just a trio for, you know, over half my life. And yeah, they, they never left my side. And so there was one night where I was unresponsive and they had to take me to the ER. They uh, checked my BAC and said that I, I should be dead. And I was, I was joking around. I was walking all around the ER trying to cheer people up. And they were like, how? And the doctor said, if this is what you do, you have two weeks left to live. And so the next day they threw me into detox. And it was <laughs> alcohol detox is no fucking joke. Like that's, that's the thing people die from, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Alcohol, like the, the, the DTs can um, give you a seizure and you can die. Uh, it's one of the only drugs that uh, when you quit it, it can kill you. But the reason I was laughing uh, is that the detox facility was also a, uh, a psych ward. So at one point, I'm literally being chased through the halls and this uh, guy in his gown with his ass hanging out is trying to convince me that he's a lawyer and he wants to represent me. <laughs> Should have let him. Sure, <laughs> except halfway through, he just switched and started screaming at me, trying to convince me that he knew how to play the tuba. That is so like Southern to put both of those like services in the same building. Like, I'm sorry, like, I'm from New York and like that like is perfectly illustrative of healthcare South on the Mason Dixon line. For some reason in my head, I don't know why. <laughs> it's just, yep. I heard that I was like, oh yeah, Maryland, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it just made it okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's just that's just a tough like realization or crossroad to come to to like, you know, recognize that. I thought I'd lost everything. And when I got out of detox, uh, I ended up going to AA and oh, I hated it at first. I went at noon cuz had no job, which meant it was me and a bunch of old white guys, and I'm like, this is this is hell. I'm doomed to be bored for the rest of my life. But at each meeting, these old guys were laughing. And I hadn't laughed in so long. And they said this one thing, keep coming back. I'm like, oh, fuck, and I got nothing better else better to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no job, right? No Might job. as well. And then, you know, people finding out that I'm going to these damn meetings keeps them off my mm. back. And the whole time I thought AA was going to teach me how to drink like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wait, I can't, I can't ever, never again. I have a disease. Oh, what the? Yeah. 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 And uh, wait, the alcohol didn't kill the disease, right? I know almost him, not the disease. <laughs> I will say, I wish the disease wasn't called alcoholism mm. because it really doesn't have a lot to do with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, alcohol is just a symptom, it is just 
if you're an alcoholic, you are a, a selfish, self-centered prick unless you find a way to become a better person. They've, they've, doctors have analyzed AA and tried to figure out how it works. That's, that's not it. It's, it's a group of stupid, ridiculously horrible drunks coming together and trying to be better for each other and helping each other selfishly <laughs> like the 12th step is go out there and help people but the only reason that you're helping people is so that you stay sober mm -hmm. i think that's okay right yeah it's like when people say um for instance like i say i mean i'm not religious but if religion gets you to be a good person then fine yeah if that's the only reason why you're a good person fine i think i have a question for you what the hell do you do for a living oh okay I am the creative director with a company called K-Delta. Um, we are a, an until help arrives, stop the bleed training company. We have former police officers, former Coast Guard, current police officers, and we offer this training and it's called until help arrives. And the reason we started this company is, and we're going to get uh, you know serious here again, these active shooters, these situations are absolutely horrible. And as they happen, I feel beyond powerless. And so I, I have gotten involved in, in, in the first aid community and in, in the first responder community. And, and I've learned how to stop massive bleeds. And, you know, if someone has a sucking chest wound, I can, I can save them. And I'm, I'm learning all of this. And people in these situations don't know this information. And these preventable deaths are happening. And so we started K-Delta to get out there and basically teach as many civilians as will listen to us how to survive these horrific events and how to empower yourself when you're, while you're going through them and give yourself the best chance of survival. We do that through, you know, classroom. We, we, we teach everybody the skills, practicals, where they get to do them on real bodies. But then my job as creative director, I create the uh, 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 blood-soaked epic scenarios. Is that like their official title? Yes, yes. There's an acronym in there, but uh, uh, we, we won't say that. Blood-soaked BS, oh yeah, BS, there we go. Yeah, the BSS, the, the blood-soaked scenarios. And what's really neat is the company I used to work with, uh, we, we train journalists. And uh, during this pandemic, watching all of the, uh, the protests, I was seeing journalists that I've trained utilizing our techniques in that. And, and that was when I was like, I need, I need to reach teachers. Mm. I need to reach small businesses. I need to reach the places that these horrific events are, are most likely to happen. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my job. I hire the actors and um, I make sure all the actors know all of the first aid so that we can focus on the story of the scenario. And while they're in it, they know all the objectives that the uh, trainees are supposed to hit. So yeah, our uh, first training uh, is coming up June 28th. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to hit the ground running, I hope. Crisis acting is something that a lot of people that I know, like they'll do it for hospitals or um, have already gotten into it. It seems like a whole nother kind of world what about your training do you feel like led you to this or was it an exterior thing that you applied your training to it was stage combat 100 
that was how I got the um, the old gig to begin with. When I, I when I started with this other company, I was uh, just an actor, and they they hired me because of the safety aspect. There's you know in in some of these scenarios, there's they're fake, but there's you know bullets flying and there's blood happening and there's lots of falls and and all these combat principles. So that was how I got pulled in, but I, I saw the immediate good. Like when you're on stage. And well, let me, let me start over. When you're on film, you have to wait for the movie to come out to see what the audience reaction is. When you're on stage, you get that immediate gratification, which I found so addicting. With this first aid training, this hostile environment stuff, not only do you get the immediate gratification of their immediate reactions, but at the end of the day, you get to see your audience grow as human beings. And that was something I, I didn't think was possible. Uh, the beginning of the day when you see someone walk in and they go to treat a massive bleed and they just turn pale and you have to catch them because they're about to pass out. And then at the end of the day, when you do a road traffic accident scenario and they're applying pressure and calling out to people, okay, you uh, apply the sucking chest wound right there. Okay. You, and like, you know, you've got a, a severed hand here and they're not even blinking an eye at it. Uh, there, there are a few better feelings in the world than that. How elaborate are these BSSs that you that you sort of put together? That is a, a great question. So there's a whole genre of this stuff. The, the wounds are called moulage wounds. And I mean, they range anywhere from, you can get a, a very basic one for, you know, maybe $75. But then they go up to $5,000 for just one fake leg. Wow. Right. So it depends on how much you want to pay. But like we have this uh, 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 massive bead leg wound where you can put your fingers in the hole and you can pack it. I want to do it, but I don't want to do no. it. No, no. <laughs> you, 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 you say that. Take the class. And at the end, you're going to be like, yes, no, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, it might help if I knew it was fake, but. Is do you like is the is the fake blood warm? I do warm it up. Yes, immersion. Uh, we we try to make it as realistic as possible. And I went and I got um, certified in psychological first aid, not just for the trainees, but also for the actors. So the like, the first time I ever did work like this, I, I nobody prepped me. So all of a sudden there are gunshots going off, explosions. I didn't know there was going to be fake blood and someone's blood is now on me and it's warm, right? Everybody's screaming. The lights are out. Some lights are flickering. I'm shaking. I'm freaking the hell out. I went home um, and I, 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 had, I had PTSD. I woke up in the middle of the night and I turned to my wife and I said, um, uh, uh, hand me my gun. The scenario is about to start. Guys, I don't own a gun. Uh, wow. <laughs> and so I was like, there is there is a better way to do this. And so I, I wanted to prep the actors as much as possible, prep the trainees as much as possible, and also be uh, an advocate for them and make sure everybody leaves that facility better than they came in. The ultimate step out method. Yeah, yeah, exactly could see that work coming across as extremely irresponsible quite frankly if you're not doing that shake it out type of work at the end of it of like digesting and what did you learn and this wasn't a real situation but we took things out of it that will translate to real life so hopefully no one goes home and has those ptsd type moments afterwards the debriefs are, are long and intense because they need to be and beforehand uh, every actor that i hire um, we talk on the phone for at least an hour 
just so I can explain everything in detail, answer any questions. And that's not where it ends. When they show up, I then say everything again, just to make sure we're all on the same page. <laughs> there, in, in work like this, there can't be surprises, especially because it's so improv based. When there's this much improv, you have to have other things planned. So that way the actors have the freedom to improv rather than worrying about, are they in the right spot for uh, the big mortar explosion? So on the, from a production, so, cause I'm a techie. Um, it's what I do for my nine to five is I work at a giant performing arts center in Troy. And, and I, you know, I, the artist says, I want to be able to fly a piano and I figure out how to fly a piano. So wait, really? <laughs> when you're oh yeah that's what we're working on right now <laughs> wait can, can we can we just sidebar how are you gonna do that <laughs> by by big performing arts center i mean like multi-million tens of millions of dollars nice. to build on the campus of this tech school up here um so we have one of at the time when it was built it was the state-of-the-art fly system a system that is very elaborate and we are capable of flying line sets as well as individual pick points so we'll be using a combination of those two things to yeah fly a baby grand piano epic but back to stage fighting and so what's the yeah unsidebar what's that yeah. prep like i mean that's got to be hours of like you got to show up beforehand with all your equipment and your air and your your pyro like yeah and like how long do these days last like for you and then the actors and then the people you're training specifically that seems like a long so day. let's say the training is nine to five i'm usually there five or six until six or seven yeah 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 it's it's crazy you get there you have to make sure everything is working right and so some of the blood effects are are you know run by batteries we've got you know pressure plates and trip wires and stuff like that um that i have to make sure everything is charged everything is working correctly then you have to make the blood you have to make sure all the wounds are ready all the wounds are cleaned um all of the clothes are properly shredded in the in the right ways yeah i mean just just getting all of that together making sure oh of course the lights are, are ready to rock um, and then, you know, aside from the blood itself, I'd say the most important thing is, is the ambiance, right? The sound effects. Mm -hmm. And so making sure all the speakers are working, um, all the, the sound cues are, are up and running. So are you doing this on a stage or do you do this in the field? So we, we have, K-Delta has its own facility. And so people who want to sign up for our classes come in. And uh, I put on a realistic active shooter scenario in that space. But what I'm most excited about, I'm excited about that. Not, not that I'm not, but what I'm most excited about is actually catering the scenarios to workspaces. So we will go to any business, any school, any church, whatever, and we will look at any possible active shooter scenarios that are most likely to happen to get the class to know what to do if it, if it happens. And so right now I'm actually, have you guys heard of a silent disco? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm utilizing that sort of technology. So that way people are driving by, don't hear all the gunshots, mm -hmm. but everybody in the class mm -hmm. does, mm -hmm. which then allows us much more freedom to go to your workplace and teach you how to react to this situation. Yeah. That's a really good, yeah. It's a really good idea. Wow. That's 
yeah, that's actually a really safe and professional way to go about it. Especially if you're going to be going to all these different places, you don't want these places to hear gunshots and freak out. And, you know, then you're having to deal with police and firefighters. And it's like, no, we were just training. And then, yeah, was, that was going to be my next question would be like, when you're out in a field like this, do you have to like tell the police? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> like you have to have police on site, I would imagine, or, you know. Yeah. Not on site. What what we do is we let the police know and we invite them to come and see. Gotcha. Um, sometimes the, the police are like, this is one of the fucking coolest things I've ever heard of. Yeah, I'm going to be there. Uh, and, and oftentimes we'll get them to actually play in the scenarios. We'll have them like shoot the active shooter or something. But uh, most of the time we just have to, you know, inform them that this is going to happen. Um, you know, so that when you see, you know, someone crouched outside of a building holding a fake AK. Right, right. They don't, you, know, you don't have a real that I would ever, situation. ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> like someone's driving by. Yeah, of course yeah, they're going to yeah. call the cops. No, uh, but I got it. I, yeah. My dreams after getting involved in this line of work are so messed up. <laughs> like I wake up and I'm like, silent disco. Oh yeah. Okay. And like, I'll, I'll have an idea and I'll, I'll turn to my wife and be like, okay. So if I just hook up a regular bag and I just pour a bunch of fake blood in it and she's like, Jamie, you can't, you can't, you at least have to warn me before you're going to say that. And I think the, the question everyone is asking themselves is what is the blood recipe? Yes. And um, <laughs> so uh, you, you've got the basic blood recipe, right? So that is red food coloring uh, and one drop of blue food coloring. Mm -hmm. You put that in clear caro syrup. That's the basic. That's the easy go-to. If you want to get a little gross, put some cocoa powder in there. Tastes delicious, but then you get the chunks. But if you want it flowing, well, okay. So then there's also this product called Blood Jam, which is fantastic, right? Because- It sounds like it tastes delicious. Oh, Blood Jam is delicious. So it, it, it's it's edible. Um, I, you know, don't do spoonfuls. But the great thing about, about Blood Jam is uh, actually I was uh, directing Macbeth. And so they come out and they've got the daggers in their hands and the blood. I mean, you can't even see their skin. It's just blood. They're like, oh, and then they come off stage. They put their hands in a bucket of water. When they pull up, it's gone. Whoa, what is this witchcraft? It's magic. <laughs> right? And so like. Especially for Macbeth, right? Exactly. And so you come off stage. If you have some um, on, on your clothes, you just spray it down with some water, wipe it off. You come back on stage. It's gone. Huh. Here's the thing. I want to utilize that on stage. Yes. That sounds like a super cool effect. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll send you guys the link. It's It, it was a stage. Yes, it was just, um, a, a stage combat guy who invented. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, but for the amount of blood that we use, um, there's a, a company that actually makes this blood powder that I usually just buy. I've, I've tried creating my own blood powder, but it stains mm -hmm. like a mofo. Um, and there's this one, I don't know, agent in the blood powder that's some chemical name that, you know, is expensive. So I just buy the blood. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're using enough of it that buying it makes a lot of sense. Sure, you don't be hunched over a pot of arrow syrup. Just like... <laughs> I just see Jamie over like a witch's cauldron. Boil, boil, toil in trouble. But like the truth. It's not that far from it, though. Yeah. So basically, honesty, I'm just going to keep bringing it up until you come up and choreograph and do my blood special effects from the back. That's basically. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm already in. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've been we've been going for a hot minute. And this 
is about when we end interviews, but we we do tend to end with a pretty big question. Yeah. Are you ready? This is a very important question. It's it's pretty important. How do I hang up the call? <laughs> what is your favorite snack? Yeah, what's your go-to? See, it is a hard question. Hard question, especially if you're not ready for it. I mean, you you got to put some situational context in. Okay, okay, okay. So, you and your wife are about to sit down for some mm-hmm. Netflix and chill. And Netflix. you think to yourself, I need a snack and I have X in the kitchen. Solve for X. <laughs> okay. Damn. Turned it into a math class. I mean, it depends on the mood and everything, but right off the bat, I'm going to go with ice cream and I'm going to get a little specific. My man. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the, uh, for my wife, the uh, Belgian chocolate gelato. And for me, probably Ben and Jerry's chubby. Hubby. Okay. Chubby okay. hubby. Yep. Respect. All right. Ice cream with chocolate covered pretzels in it and peanut butter. Come on. Yeah, I was always a sucker if I was doing the Ben and Jerry's fish food myself. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Wait, so wait, but, but what are your guys' go-to snacks? Oh, ice cream. Every day. No, no, this isn't an <laughs> interview of me, okay? No, 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 we, we'll, have, we'll have that coming up, because he got me a couple episodes ago with an unexpected uh, host highlight, where he and our guests decided they were going to interview me. <laughs> we had a bamboozle episode, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I think my go-to snack is basically anything sour. If I can get something like sour and Mm, chewy. Respect for the mm, fruit, chewy. Yeah, That's where my life's at. For sure. Yeah. Other than that, please uh, let us know of any any Twitters you have, any Instagrams, any social medias, any websites that you want to like promote, any type of activity you have coming up that you want to talk about before we let you go tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Please go to www.kdeltatraining.com. Um, sign up for one of our courses or um, get us to come to you. Uh, we'll go all over uh, the U.S. Uh, we are on Twitter, probably at kdeltatraining. I would imagine so. And um, yeah, uh, uh, please, please check out Delta Training and um, check out Renaissance Rumble. They, I think uh, they're, they're known as Renaissance Rumble. They're also known as Shakespeare in the Ring which is also a great name. Uh, so yeah, check them out because uh, they do great work. And if you've ever wanted to be a pro wrestler, this is a, a weekend long intensive and, and they will, you'll, you'll be suplexed. You're going to give a body slam. You're going to get to be a rock star. And there's a, a showcase at the end of it, not a show, but a showcase where your family and friends can come and they can watch you live out your, your top rope dream. <laughs> That's fantastic. I think 13 year old me would, would really dig that. <laughs> 13 year old me still digs that. 37 year old me is like, ow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I attempted I attempted a top rope elbow drop. It was a very <laughs> bad idea. Oh man, my butt yeah, still hurts. Every decade you lose a rope, I think is where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> every decade you lose a rope. Oh man. That should be a motto. Get yeah. that cross stitch. I'm, I'm going to put that on, on Jagermeister's t-shirt. <laughs> uh, Jamie, thank you for coming out and speaking oh. with us. It's been a blast. And yeah, another multitudinal uh, creative force that we've got on the show here. So, you know, you definitely just who we're looking for. Rock on. Thanks for having me. You guys want to chat again. I'm bored. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Thanks again, man. Rock on. 
Thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show and speaking with us today. We really appreciate it. And now we're going to move on to the last segment of our show, which is audience participation. Shane, do you have an audience participation for us this week? I would love for Ardens to talk about the easiest job they have ever had. I want to hear about that bonkers job that you either went in for a day and you're like, no, I'm not about this life. Or you <laughs> stuck there for 10 years because of how <laughs> ridiculous it was. Did you shuck clams at a high-end clam restaurant? Did you wrestle gorillas? I don't know. Tell us in our comment section on the episode announcement for this episode, either on our Facebook at www.facebook.com slash active listeners pod, or check us out on our Twitter at act list pod and join in the conversation. Peace. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening.